Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Sidewise Award finalist Junior Burke. His newest novel is Buddha Was a Cowboy, which is published by our friends at Gibson House Press. Junior, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jason. It's an honor to have you here. And first, Junior, uh, before we dive into your novel, I was turned on to your book because your publisher, Gibson House Press, sent out an introductory email about how the press had relocated to Colorado. And I get this type of thing all the time, but something about this specific note piqued my curiosity. And I'm so glad it did because your book is fantastic. But Junior, I'm hoping you can tell us about Gibson House Press. Who are they? How did you come to work with them? And what has it been like working with them? Um, I started working with them. I had published two novels previously. And um, I started working with them when I wrote my last published novel, which was called The Cold Last Swim. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I met Deb Robertson, who is the um, editor and publisher of Gibson House Press through our mutual attorney, Tom Levins, who's from Chicago. And I'd, I had spent a lot of time in Chicago. Um, I lived there for eight and a half years. And um, Deb was from Chicago as well. Uh, she only recently relocated out here um, from Chicago uh, to Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. And um, so she, um, you know, she's the head of the press. And uh, yeah, I, I submitted The Cold Last Swim to her, which was an alternate history. Um, I had seen a photograph of uh, James Dean uh, holding a gun on Ronald Reagan while they were um, shooting a live television show in the 1950s, 1954. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, I I did a, you know, what if, you know, um, uh, and, uh, wrote the book and she responded to it and we published that book and we did get some very fine response from it. You mentioned the Sideways, uh, Sideways Award, which was, uh, we were one of five finalists, <clears throat> excuse me, for that. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I wrote uh, my next book, which is Buddha Was a Cowboy, uh, which is more of a satirical, humorous novel, uh, very different. Um, and uh, but she published that as well. I believe I'm the first uh, author that she's had that's published more than one book for her. Um, also, Mary Bisbee Beek, who is the um, publicity head for um, for uh, Gibson House Press. You know, I've been working closely with her, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's been a very good experience and a good relationship. And I'm very pleased with them, and I hope they're pleased with me. Absolutely. Thank you. And they sent me your first book or your previous book, too. And I look forward to reading that uh, cool. soon. But let's now talk about your excellent novel, Buddha Was a Cowboy. Um, you open your novel by quoting a Zen Cohen. Uh, what is a Zen Cohen, Jr., as you understand it, maybe using the one that uh, opens your novel as an example? I'm not sure I understand it. Probably the, the most famous, the most famous, for one thing, they're all translated, of course, and mm -hmm. many of them are ancient. But uh, the most famous is probably what is, we know the sound of one hand, or no, we, we know the sound of two hands, what is the sound of one hand? Uh, often people in the West say, what is the sound of one hand clapping? But I think the clapping is extraneous. 
Um, but so anyway, it's something to, it, it's kind of pithy and you contemplate it and uh, it's supposed to uh, lead to flashes of enlightenment. Uh, the one that I use as an, uh, as an epigraph for the book was uh, a monk asks Sing Lin, what is the meaning of Bodhidharma coming from the West? Sing Lin replied, sitting for a long time becomes tiresome. And that's from 1125. So it's an ancient uh, piece of wisdom, but uh, something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And as a drummer, I often tell people the sound of one hand clapping is just that. I mean, why not? <laughs> um, there you go. Well, um, can you take a moment, Junior, just to set this novel up for our listeners? Yeah, it's, um, it's set in a um, fictional town called Pearl Handle, Wyoming. And um, and basically, it has to do with a uh, alternative uh, university college. Really, they call themselves a university, but uh, that's also part of the grandiosity with which the institution, uh, you know, posits itself. Uh, but uh, it begins in the mid 1970s. There was there's a Columbia. Uh, university professor um, who uh, named Lawrence Timmons who gets uh, kind of kicked out of academia and he goes to Tibet and uh, on some kind of search and he comes back with some kind of wisdom and founds this school or this school gets founded around his teachings and lectures mm -hmm. and um, and it's uh, you know been in existence for quite a while when we opened the book I opened the book in uh, uh, 2006 or seven, I believe it is, um, uh, kind of a prologue in a way. And, um, we find out that this is, this school has, you know, has been there for, you know, quite some time for some decades, but, um, what, what's going on is that there's, uh, a movement among, uh, some competing forces, uh, that, that decide they want to start a, more of a fundamentalist conservative school uh, in Wyoming. And, um, and they decide rather, there's, there's somebody on the, on the board of, uh, of uh, Harami University, which is what I call the, the, the institution in Wyoming. And there's someone on the board there who's very disgruntled and he decides to go over to the other side. And he tells them, you know, why would you want to, start a school in Wyoming, you have to break ground, you have to make buildings, you have to raise all this money. Why don't you just take one over mm -hmm. and place a curriculum, which is, which can be done by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'll get to that in a moment, but, um, but, uh, and so then surreptitiously these other forces start coming in and it becomes uh, in some ways kind of a uh, uh, metaphor uh, in some ways for some of the um, culture wars that are going on right now in, in America. And, uh, and it's played out uh, in, but uh, I think good naturedly. Uh, um, and uh, I didn't nearly, I didn't really want to offend anybody, but in, in some ways my way around that is to kind of offend everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but uh but yeah, and, and there's a story there. So um, it takes place over the course of an academic year. The other thing I'd like to say is one thing, it's, it's, um, it's a period piece because it really takes place from, 
from the fall of the, the, the large, you know, there's a prologue, but the, the, the most, um, uh, most of the action takes place between the fall of 2014 and the spring of 2015. And uh, that's purposeful also because uh, now it's almost 10 years ago, but um, I see that as a time when, um, when things were really starting to shift and to tilt. It's right before uh, Trump announced for office uh, and uh, at the end of the Obama administration. And um, while those things don't inform it at all, there's kind of an iceberg effect that you can feel that things are changing. And I, that's always intrigued me when writing anything dealing with history is that I'm always, you know, like a, a novel like James Jones's From Here to Eternity does, you know, it, it ends with Pearl Harbor. It doesn't begin with Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cabaret, the great musical, uh, you know, it's about the Weimar Republic. It's not about, you know, the, you know, the Nazi takeover. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's when things are just starting to, the smoke signals are in the air, so to speak. And the other thing I'd like to say is that, um, a lot of people have gotten in touch with me since the novel has been published because it came out in Florida that um, there were exactly what was, I was writing the book was happening in Florida where um, there was uh, some uh, an institution called New College, which was found to be um, attempted, attempted to be taken over by, uh, you know, uh, conservative interests, let's say. Um, and so that was just one of those things where you write something and you know, it's already in the air, but it's actually happening. So um, a lot of people got in touch with me and said, hey, you know, look what you did. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a, uh, a bandmate who perhaps erroneously moved to Orlando, Florida last year. And, uh, and they have a whole different thing going on down there. Uh -huh. um, yeah, well, I now want to ask about the concept of mindful instruction, which Parami University at the opening of your novel is seen as a leader of this philosophy of mindless and uh, mindful instruction. What is yeah. this concept? Well, um, there are several institutions uh, that, again, um, uh, that's that's their focus, I guess you'd say. And, and, and it has to do with... Uh, you, you know, I used the phrase or the, the word earlier, alternative. So I guess it it is those institutions that see themselves as alternative. I mean, a lot of the things that have become mainstream in our culture were really, really different when they were first introduced around the time that Prami University would have started in the late 70s. I, I refer to a lot of the people that are populating Parami as people that had experienced the 1960s and were in its aftermaths, tasting its ashes because a lot of people got burned in the 60s. You know, there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of anticipation toward, you know, a, a new world and a better world and a more peaceful world, which are all, you know, absolutely uh, what, in, you know, we should be striving for. But uh, it, there was a lot of also disappointment and even bitterness uh, in the wake of that when, when so many things that were hoped for didn't turn out. Um, so mindful instruction, uh, is more, you know, uh, people would, uh, you know, would introduce Eastern philosophies, for instance, into some of the teachings and some of the um, dogma, in a sense. Now, I, I don't, Parami in, in my novel is a secular university. It's, uh, you know, there are there are Buddhist courses, for instance, but uh, that are referred to, but uh, but there's all kinds of alternative everything, and even uh, most of the 
uh, arts program, which the protagonist of the novel, Aaron Motherway, is the um, comes he's comes there to he's asked to run the arts program. He doesn't know he's being kind of set up, but mm. he comes there to run it. And uh, and even the 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 quality of the arts programs is very avant-garde. There was another epigraph that I was going to put at the beginning of the book, but I chose not to because I thought it it wasn't so much about this. It was uh, it was more about the you know the Eastern thought, you know, but the other epigraph I was going to uh, use was from uh, the French poet Paul Valere, which was everything changes, but the avant-garde. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, um, but anyway, so that's in there too. But so yeah, it's alternative. It's not, you know, it's not, you know, there's, there's a, uh, there's a more traditional university in proximity also made up Southern Wyoming University, which there's not one. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, they obviously have fraternities and football and and uh, those kinds of things that Parami University wouldn't touch with a barge pole. Yeah, and I want to talk about that university here in a moment. But first, um, you mentioned the character Lawrence Timmons, and this character wrote a book, uh, part memoir, part self-help, titled "This Is Now Here," uh, which gained him a cult following. My question, Junior, is um, these self-help gurus who gain cult followings do any of these uh, cult followings have longevity in other words do any of them last say beyond the physical life of the guru well i think that of course they do um you know of course they do i think um but there's all kinds of it, it comes in all kinds of forms um mm -hmm. you know there are there were many people who took gurus you know, from India, you know, in the sixties mm. and seventies, of course, you know, famously the Beatles and the Beach Boys mm. and people like Donovan, you know, followed the Maharishi, um, you know, but there was, you know, and there, if, if you've ever seen uh, that terrific documentary on Netflix, the wild, wild country, uh, which was uh, about Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh going up to Oregon with his followers. So there was a lot of, um, gurus who actually came from India, but then there were um, also a lot that uh, came from the West as well. I mean, Alan Watts is still played every week uh, in Boulder, Colorado on the radio, uh, his lectures, you know, he died in, I think, 74 or 73. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of um, uh, other people that took a lot of those um, sensibilities and and made them their own in a sense. Uh, so it, it, it came from all over. I think there's, you know, a, a, across the globe, there's people that still go to, you know, ashrams, but not, not just in India, they'll, they'll go to, I think there's a, you know, there's a big one in Portugal that someone just told me about, cause I was just in Portugal. I didn't go to the ashram, but, um, but you know, it's, it's all over. I mean, that, but that's another thing is that um, a lot of the sensibilities from that time have been, uh, for want of a better word, I think a lot of it was well-meaning, but a lot of it was appropriated. You know, mm -hmm. things like yoga that were, were very new, um, you know, in the in the 1960s and 70s, you know, now are, it's a big industry, you know, it, where, you know, it's, and it's, and it's been adapted into not just yoga for enlightenment, it's been, you know, power yoga for success and all that kind of stuff, you know, so, um, so, you know, because in the West we have, a, you know, the people have a different relationship to some of these things and different goals and different needs, you know, so, uh, and there's some of that in, there, in, in, in the book as well, because I, I do think uh, some of the, some of the, um, 
more meaningful things have been appropriated and, and trivialized, but not just from, um, you know, not just from uh, sensibilities that came from the East. I mean, I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, deep religious beliefs, you know, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. I think people need to, you know, embrace them and be true to them. But then also a lot of them do get trivialized. You know, I, I use an example of, you know, players on football fields, you know, praying after a touchdown and, you know, saying how the Lord, you know, made that happen. Well, uh, to me, that's, that's kind of misplaced um, emphasis, you know, I mean, I think they should be probably more concerned with other things rather than, than I think the uh, illusion that some greater power is really invested in their football game. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to ask you to expand on that a bit after the break. But first, listeners, we are going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsors. And then I will be right back with Junior Burke. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Junior Burke, author of Buddha Was a Cowboy, which is published by our friends at Gibson House Press. Uh, Junior, as you mentioned before the break, uh, you write in your first chapter that a leap of sorts was um, made uh, the understanding that Jesus of Nazareth was invested in the fortunes of the SWU Coyotes football team. Um, And I'm hoping you can talk about this concept a little further uh, in any way that you like this concept that Jesus of Nazareth may be invested in the fortunes and successes of an American college football squad. Um, Well, again, I I think something like that reflects more on the devotee, let's say, than Mm -hmm. than it does the source. Um, uh, I'm, as I said, I'm very much in favor of of, um, anyone finding the the right path for themselves and the right belief system for themselves. But I hope that um, it leads them in many ways to a much deeper uh, understanding of their own lives and maybe, you know, the, uh, the world itself. Um, and because uh, there are a lot of similarities in a lot of these belief systems, I think where it starts to fall short, or I don't even know how to characterize it, but when it starts to get, um, away from the the deeper uh, mysticism for instance uh is when it starts to get applied you know to everything you know and, and also um when uh you know churches themselves you know become you know more concerned with uh you know with uh, 
secular concerns rather than the, the deeper mysticism. So um, again, I, I'm somebody who's very much in favor of, of, um, of individuals finding their belief system, but, uh, but hoping that it will lead them to a deeper understanding of where all that comes from and how all that can inform their lives in, in, uh, in deep and profound ways rather than spewing it out in almost every uh, circumstance. Yeah, and um, continuing along this thread for a moment, Junior, can you talk to us about this group, the Key Holders, uh, in your book, which is an organization started by a football coach that is, quote, doing battle against the secular humanism and encroaching feminism that infests our society and threatens the future of America and its children, end quote. Uh, what is this point of view of this football coach, Junior, and who are the people who are likely uh, to follow this point of view and subscribe to it? Well, again, there's a lot of reaction to to things that are going on, and and when uh, you know, and a lot of the reactions are um, reactionary, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I think there's no shortage of um, of individuals and organizations that you know would feel that way. I mean, you hear them all the time, uh, you know, um, in the in the national discourse right now, which it really isn't a discourse, it's a divide, you know? Um, so, uh, again, I, I think that, um, that's why I, I wanted to sort of present both sides of that as I saw it in some ways, I wanted to uh, embody both sides of that. Uh, but you know, there's, there's no shortage of people that feel exactly that. Do you think it's possible, uh, Junior, I'm reaching outside of your novel here to include people in, in the real world, um, outside of these key holders that we are speaking about. Is it possible for any of these folks who position themselves um, in, excuse me, in this way to live a life that is not hypocritical? In other words, will human nature allow these folks to lead the type of lives that they are evangelizing for? I think I think so. I mean, I'm not that cynical. I think there's yeah. there's true belief, and there's and there's um, and and it, it it causes people to or it, it motivates people again to to walk the straight and narrow in all kinds of ways. But um, but I think uh, there are terrible pitfalls. I mean, there 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 you know, in a greater sense, there is good and evil in the world, and it, and it all and it shows up in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think that, I, I think one thing that go, that is going on is that in, in, in all corners of society, you know, uh, there, are, there, there, there are concerns about things that should at this point just be taken for granted. I, that's also part of the, of the theme of the book is that I think a lot of people get very, very uh, fixated on trivia and on things that um, that are actually beside the point to what's really going on. I mean, to me that there's, we're at a, we're at a very, um, we're at a very important juncture in humanity right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and the trouble with that is, is that um, a lot of the behavior and a lot of the beliefs of humanity have not really changed much uh, over the centuries, but we now have this technology, which, um, you know, in a greater sense, could could destroy us all. You know, and uh, or, or um, 
you know, so I think the concern should be, you know, where are we going to get our food? You know, how are we going to keep the lights on? You know, um, and how are we going to work together to make that happen? And, and, um, and, and not, again, not, I, I think these, a lot of the things that, that people are just are quote unquote fighting for at this point should just be embraced. And we got to get on with the bigger picture, I think. Um, so if that, if that makes sense, I mean, that's, that's, that's what, that's what I feel. And that's in a sense, that's what the book is about also. And there's, there's also a subcurrent in the book where Aaron Motherway, the protagonist comes from Hollywood. I mean, to, to run this arts program. And, uh, and he's, he's at this point where he's recovering from a, life-changing, uh, life-threatening incident and accident. And he's realizing that um, what the priorities are in some ways. And uh, he, he starts to look at Hollywood where he's been living a lot of his life and seeing, uh, you know, uh, how it's hurting and not helping. You know, there's, a, there's a, a point in the book where there's a guy coming to lecture there who wants to lecture on how a serial killer constructs a narrative, you know, the genius of Ted Bundy. I mean, I'm so sick to death hearing about serial killers and hearing about terrorists even and, and, uh, and uh, you know, drug dealers and all this stuff that Hollywood puts out there, you know, and I think that we need to, um, we need to uh, devise some new narratives uh, and stop blowing things up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Junior. Um, I do want to ask you about Aaron, your protagonist. Aaron is a writer. Uh, what kind of writing is Aaron trying to do at the beginning of this novel? And what is the difference between the writing Aaron is doing and the writing that the market is calling for? Well, he's out in Hollywood and he, uh, he uh, has a degree in creative writing, but because he's in Hollywood, he starts writing. He, he refers to himself as a script right, mm -hmm. which is uh, uh, a phrase that I, came up on myself, I think I found out subsequently that maybe it had been used in other places, but I had not been aware of it. But a scriptwright is uh, more like a playwright in that this is um, someone who writes for the page. And there's, a, uh, having been, in, I lived in LA for 12 years and I know a lot of people that, that made a very good living by writing things that were um, never produced, never going to be produced, but they would be paid very well for it. And, and it was uh, it was a gig, you know, uh, but a lot of those people were very smart and very savvy, but they'd come out there and 10 years later, having done nothing but that, if they did have really real literary facility, it was not so hard to access after going through all that. Uh, because screenwriting, there's three types of creative, creative writing in our culture. And uh, the first is literary fiction, let's say which has three elements to it. You have to be able to write description, you have to be able to write dialogue, and you have to be able to tell a story. Uh, a higher way of referring to that is, is construct a narrative. If, you, if you're a playwright, you only have to do two things. You have to uh, write dialogue and you have to write a story. There's no description. I mean, Hamlet enters, Ophelia exits, that's all you gotta write. Screenplays, or only one thing, and if and and most people think, well, it's all dialogue. It's not. Dialogue is a secondary consideration of a screenplay. Screenplays are all story. There's no description in a screenplay. F. Scott Fitzgerald went out there to Hollywood and 
failed twice. I mean, died out there. But uh, you know, one of the greatest lyrical prose novelists, uh, in certainly that America ever produced. But he was out there in Hollywood trying to get a film made, and he would write all these great descriptions of what the moon looked like in the sky. You didn't need to do that. You had a camera to do that for you. Um, and uh, so, if you have literary descriptive qualities, that's not going to help you writing a screenplay. And the dialogue uh, is. Uh, Again, it, it shouldn't be on the head. You can't tell your story through dialogue. Uh, you know, for instance, the, the terrific scene, I'm, I'm, I have mixed feelings about Quentin Tarantino's uh, aesthetic, but he did, he, he's very good at getting the, the audience invested in character. Like uh, when Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta are on their way to commit a hit at the beginning of Pulp Fiction, they're not talking about the hit they're gonna do, they're talking about fast food and and uh, in Amsterdam, you know, mm -hmm. um, a Royale with cheese, you know, that thing. So, um, but that's, that, that gets you interested. And that's how people really live their lives. When people are going to paint a house, they don't talk about what kind of paint they're going to use. They're talking about what they drank the night before, or, you know, what they're, what, what, what they're going to watch, you know, uh, what game they're going to watch, you know, something like that. And that gets you involved in them. So screenplays are just a, a, a structure, just a construct. And if you're a, a great writer uh, or you want to be a writer of, of novels, you should probably stay the hell away from it because it's not going to help you. But mm -hmm. uh, they pay pretty well. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Thank you, Junior. And um, finally, our time is running short here. And listeners, listen, many of you probably uh, are just now getting exposed to this novel, but you need to reach out to us and order it straight away. If you're a fan of this podcast, you will be a fan of this novel, uh, period. That is a, a book and podcast guarantee. Um, but Junior, finally, because our podcast here is based in Colorado and because I myself am relatively new to Colorado, um, you write that Colorado Springs is a region so populated with fundamentalist Christians that it had become known as the Evangelical Vatican. Um, can you tell us more about this? Was this a moment in time uh, or is Colorado Springs still viewed in this way? Uh, I think it's probably still like that. I mean, I don't have facts and figures in front of me, but uh, I think the sensibilities are certainly different from Boulder, for instance. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, locations have their sensibilities and uh, vibe, if you will. But um, yeah, Colorado Springs, maybe because, you know, traditionally it's, uh, it's proximity to the Air Force Academy. Uh, it's, been, it's been very conservative. It's a beautiful place. And I, you know, there's some wonderful things that go on there. But, uh, but there is uh, a lot of, uh, per capita, uh, a lot of um, traditionalist, uh, and largely Christian uh, institutions and values, I believe. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you, Junior, and thank you so much for writing this wonderful book. Listeners, I've been speaking with Junior Burke, author of Buddha Was a Cowboy, which is published by our friends at Gibson House Press. Junior, thank you so much for joining me. Well, it's a pleasure, Jason, and uh... Yeah, again, off, off, uh, off mic, I want to hear about your band and your drumming and uh, where you came from before you came to Colorado. Once again, I would like to thank Junior Burke for joining me. Copies of Buddha Was a Cowboy can be ordered at www.explorebooksellers.com 
free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Bookin'.